Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we welcome registered dietitian, Amanda Nybert. to realize is that that morning of donuts it absolutely did not make or break your success it's what you chose to do after the morning of donuts that potentially did or will so learning your ability to reset immediately allows you to break this might as well thinking to not allow your unhealthy choices to spill into the next meal the next day the next week We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper. Ben Azadi here, host of the Keto Camp Podcast. You can learn more about me over at benazadi.com. I'm grateful to introduce to the show Amanda Nybert, who is a registered dietitian with an amazing story. She followed the approach of the conventional wisdom, if you will, when it came to dietitians, and she finally discovered that, hey, that approach doesn't really get to the root cause, and she had a decision to make, and that decision is inspirational. She gave an amazing TEDx talk called The Number One Reason Why Dieters Fail, and we're gonna discuss her three bullet points from that TEDx talk. She'll also share her story about being a registered dietitian and actually being diagnosed with wonky cholesterol levels and being prescribed the statin and what she did to say no and overcome that. We talk about the issue with snacking, the benefits of intermittent fasting and her favorite schedules to follow, why dairy, cow dairy might be an issue and some of her favorite alternatives. And then we dive deep into an awesome blog post she wrote titled, Five Reasons You're Not Losing Weight from a Registered Dietitian. So we're going to talk about calories and macros and movement and protein and carbohydrates and keto flexing and water. And oh, it's just a fun episode. She's a lot of fun, by the way. Her attitude and energy is contagious. You are going to love her and love this episode. Hey, before I dive in, I do want to get a minute here to the Apple podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Just As Described titled Real Knowledge, Real Results. This podcast gives you access to some of the most brilliant minds in fitness and nutrition. I never miss an episode, and I feel like I'm a part of the Keto Camp family. Thank you so much for helping people heal their bodies. Thank you. And I'm sure you're listening because you don't miss an episode. So thank you so much for listening. I'm so glad you're getting value from it. I appreciate you taking the time to leave that rating and review. It really does help the show grow. So if you haven't done so already, please leave the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts so we could change more lives together. Before I bring on my guest, I want to share with you an upcoming Keto Masterclass I'm going to be hosting online 
which is 100% free. Let's face it, when you go on Dr. Google, you'll get over 100 million results for what is the keto diet, how to lose weight on keto, how do I know if I'm in ketosis. There's a lot of information out there. And I always say information doesn't change your life. And if it did, all librarians would be multimillionaires. It's not about the information. We are drowning in information and starving in truth. The way to change your life is the right information applied in a step-by-step system. So during this webinar, which is going to be about an hour long, I'm going to go through my four-pillar step-by-step approach for achieving incredible results with keto and intermittent fasting. During this webinar, you're going to learn all about the basics of keto, which is great for beginners. And then I'm also going to share with you some strategies that I've used on thousands of my students to break a keto weight loss plateau or just you stop getting results, how to break that, how to bust that, how to change things up. We're going to discuss clean keto, dirty keto. I'll be revealing two scientifically proven ways to enhance ketone production by the mitochondria. Speaking of the mitochondria, I'm going to share with you some research that shows how ketones communicate with the mitochondria to create more of themselves called mitogenesis. So we'll get into the science. We'll also get into keto flexing and why the goal is not long-term ketosis. The goal is metabolic flexibility. So I'll be sharing that and I'll be giving away over $400 worth in free PDF downloads for those who sign up for this free masterclass. But here's the deal. We only have room for a certain amount of people until the bandwidth has run out. So if you are hearing this on time and you want to take action and get signed up for this free upcoming Keto Masterclass, I encourage you to head to www.ketosismasterclass.com and register your free spot. That is www.ketosismasterclass.com and register your free spot. We'll also drop a link for you down below. Okay, let's speak with Amanda Nybert. Amanda is a registered dietitian specializing in weight loss nutrition. She's a fitness enthusiast and a hardworking mom of two. She's passionate about motivating, supporting, and educating people to meet their wellness goals. She's worked in the field of weight loss for the past 19 plus years, helping thousands of people reach their wellness goals. She works with them via her online program. She's an avid reader, and she really understands the science behind weight loss, diet, and nutrition, and how it's always changing. She understands that this rapid change can create confusion and frustration with the average person trying to be successful at weight loss. Her goal is to bring the latest cutting-edge strategies and techniques to her clients, to the world, with the most concise and educational manner. Here is Amanda Nybert. Amanda Nybert, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. I was just telling you offline how awesome it was for me personally to research you and get ready for the conversation. Uh, I started with your TEDx talk, which is on YouTube. We'll, we'll drop a link down below. During your TEDx talk, you shared your story and what happened to you as a dietitian actually being diagnosed with high cholesterol, prescribed statin. So what was your life like leading up to that point? And why did you make that decision not to go the allopathic route? You know, I mean, as a registered dietitian, I was living and breathing the, you know, heart healthy diet. 
I always say I was like a uh, card carrying spray butter and fat free ranch girl. Like I didn't go anywhere without them and really thought I was doing everything right. I was doing all the things that I was actually teaching my patients in the hospital to do, you know, low fat, no eggs, lots of grains, whole grains and things like that. And I was at a healthy weight, you know, I was exercising, but lo and behold, I went in for my yearly checkup and my cholesterol was over 300. It was crazy. So you had that appointment and it was kind of like a shock to you because you were doing everything right, you know, quote, right. And uh, you had this diagnosis and the doctor prescribed statins for you. But what made you decide not to take that and kind of take things into your own control? Well, at the time I was 32 years old. I mean, I, I felt that was really young um, to be put on a medication for the rest of my life. And I also felt like I was doing all the things I should be doing in order to manage, um, you know, my cholesterol. So I told her, I was like, listen, give me six months. Let me figure out if I can fix this on my own. Um, and then at that point, we'll talk about kind of long-term prescription, you know, options. And And luckily she said, okay. And I remember leaving there thinking, okay, I, I'm doing everything I think I should be doing. You know, what's the deal? And so I started to do some research and, and I, I actually came across a book called The Great Cholesterol Myth. And I, I read that book and what that book taught me is that cholesterol is actually an inflammatory response. And if I could reduce the inflammation in my body, then I would improve my numbers. And the biggest thing that was causing so much inflammation in my body was carbohydrates and sugars. When I was so focused on leading a low fat diet, because in my mind, I could eat all the carbs and all the calories I wanted as long as I was eating low fat. But when I was so focused on eating, you know, no fat, it really led to the overconsumption of carbs and sugars. And after reading that, it just got me digging. Like, how did we get to these, you know, guidelines, these low fat, heart healthy guidelines to begin with? And I began to do some research. And, you know, what I found out was that, you know, prior, A, prior to the first set of nutritional guidelines, our obesity rate was flat. You know, it wasn't until we introduced the Food Guide Pyramid in 1977 that we start to see an increase in obesity rates. So um, there's this correlation with us trying to eat low fat, low calorie with us just getting bigger and bigger and more unhealthy. What I also realized is that we didn't know a lot about, you know, the endocrine system and how, you know, fat is actually stored uh, versus burned. And, you know, all of these nutritional guidelines were based on a lot of faulty science, bias science, and in addition, a lot of just theory, you know, um, the whole kind of calories out versus calories in versus calories out. So after kind of learning all of that, you know, basically I made changes in my diet um, created a little bit more of a balanced approach, didn't fear fat, actually increased a lot more fat into my diet, butter, avocado, eggs, you know, was more conscious of my carbohydrate intake, my sugar intake. And, you know, six months later, just by making those small shifts, I was able to reduce my cholesterol to under 200. I love it. Uh, and, and thank you, Ansel Keys, for messing us up for so many years. <laughs> that book is great. Uh, I read that book as well, The Great Cholesterol Myth. Uh, I love that you d decided to take ownership and uh, educate yourself and start to apply what you're learning because you're so right. It's, it's inflammation. That That is excessive inflammation is the culprit 
cholesterol is super important. Our cell membranes are made up of it. It builds our, our sex hormones. How could it be bad, right? So it, it makes total sense. And if you reduce the, the inflammation, you'll normalize, optimize your lipid panel, which is exactly what you did. And then you went on to uh, change your ways, which is Kudos to you, Amanda, because not a lot of dietitians and dietitianists and nutritionists and doctors will change their ways because they've been so indoctrinated and they're put in this dogmatic box that they realize, oh, I'm wrong, but they have a decision to make. Am I just going to ignore the evidence or am I just going to stay in my box? You decided to pay attention to the evidence and actually expand out of that box. Was that hard for you? Was it kind of like um, a difficult decision to make to realize that some of the things that you were doing were, were not right according to the new research? How difficult was that transition? Yeah, it was it was very hard. I mean, I actually would call myself the renegade dietitian, you know? I mean, working in a hospital setting, there's multiple dietitians and, you know, every other dietitian again had their spray butter, their fat-free this, all this in their little basket and I had my butter and my eggs, you know. And initially, it it was hard because you know, typically someone's not going to listen to a dietitian over their doctor. So whatever your doctor says is, you know, usually the final word. So, you know, trying to convince my um, patients to see a different perspective with regards to nutrition, it took a long time. But, you know, I definitely felt because of my own experience, and I think that that's where really powerful practitioners evolve from is, you know, they had this own experience, they dealt with this, they walked the path, um, that I was able to be pretty convicted in, you know, my philosophy kind of moving forward. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was also lucky that the science was needing, you know, me eventually, you know, so now it's not unheard of for people to, to, to think, you know, fat is not bad. Fat doesn't make you fat. Fat fills you up. Fat helps you lose weight. So over the years, it's gotten a little bit easier. But initially, yes, it was hard. I was very lucky to have a director that believed in me and um, allowed me to help my patients in a way that we felt like could be beneficial. That's wonderful. And during your TEDx talk, it was a, a great talk, and you had um, three steps that you really emphasized. The name of the talk was the number one reason why dieters fail, Amanda Nybert, TEDx, Grand Canyon University. You had three steps that were so practical that I really enjoyed. I'd love to go over those three steps. The first one was you don't have to be perfect, and you have an 80-20 kind of philosophy. Could you explain that? Yeah, and you know, going back to my title, I mean, I've been working in the field of weight loss for the last two decades. And, you know, what I've finally come to realize over the last, you know, five to eight years is that the number one reason why people fail is the all or nothing mindset. You know, we feel like we have to be perfect in order to make progress. And when we can't be perfect, we choose to do nothing. And that's where people, you know, struggle the most. So my three takeaways for breaking the all or nothing mindset is number one, um, practicing progress over perfection. So I like to call that the 80-20% rule. You know, 80% of the time you're fueling your body based on the way you wish to feel and the results you aim to achieve. And 20% of the time, you're living your life with zero remorse and regrets over the foods that you eat. And if you can find that balance, then in most cases, you will see progress because 80-20 creates the most important thing for progress, which is consistency. So putting that into like real applicable terms would be if you eat three meals a day, 
that's 21 meals a week. 17 meals a week is 80%. So 17 meals are dialed in on track, you know, doing what you know you need to do. And three to four meals a week are a little bit more flexible. You know, having those um, discretionary food choices that you don't have often, but allow you to live your life. So um, the first one was eight, the 80-20 rule. I love it. I'm a big fan of that because let's face it, what's the point of extending your lifespan? But if you're miserable and not able to enjoy yourself and hang out with family and go to a wedding and, and enjoy yourself, I mean, what's the, what is it worth? We want to be able to, to have it all. And with like an 80-20 approach, I would say I'm kind of like a 90-10 kind of guy personally. I'm like 90% good. And then of course, I'll sneak in some things, 10% to enjoy myself. And that works for me. That helps me stay consistent, which is the word that you used. The next tip that you mentioned was learn the power of resetting immediately and dropping the might as well thinking. What does that mean? Yeah. So number two is, um, let me just give you a scenario. Okay. You walk into work Friday morning and there's a box of hot, fresh donuts and you try really hard to resist eating the hot, fresh donuts because they don't currently align with your health and wellness goals, but you end up having a few. For so many, this triggers the might as well thinking. Well, might as well have nachos for lunch and pizza and beer for dinner because I've already blown it. And then for some others, it turns into might as well just eat like an all weekend and start fresh on Monday. And what we have to realize is that that morning of donuts, it absolutely did not make or break your success. It's what you chose to do after the morning of donuts that potentially did or will. So learning your ability to reset immediately allows you to break this might as well thinking, to not allow your unhealthy choices to spill into the next meal, the next day, the next week. So if you find yourself at the end of a meal that doesn't align with your current health and wellness goals, instead of saying might as well, learn to reset immediately at your next available meal. Great tip. Uh, one of my catchphrases is it's not about the setback, it's about the get back. And how, how fast, <laughs> thanks Amanda, how fast you could get back is that's what's important. I hear a lot of people, and I'm sure you do as well with your audience and your patients. I've, I'm failing at keto. I'm failing at intermittent fasting. I'm failing at this. And if there's one message I want to get out there, it's that failure is not a person. It's an event. And if you learn from it, it turns into wisdom and the failure goes away. And how fast you could get back on a course is what it's about. And it's a perfectly aligned with what you're sharing here. So that might as well attitude, that is going to lead you towards a path of frustration and setbacks that are permanent setbacks. You're going to take speed bumps and turn that into stop signs, which we don't want that. Uh, so I, I was like that. I was that kind of person, uh, you know, messed up during lunch. I had uh, brownies or I had whatever it was. I'm going to just eat dinner like crap. And then that might transfer to the next day. I mean, how many people go through that? So I love that mindset of, hey, forget about it get right back on track. And that's the consistency. And then overall, you just get better and better each week, each month, each year. So fantastic tip there. Hey, I want to take a brief minute to share something with you. For many years, I used to take fish oil and recommend it. And I see a lot of people in the keto space overdoing it with fish oil. There are several reasons why I am not a fan of fish oil and why I stopped recommending it to all of my clients several years ago. Number one, 83% of fish oil is expected to be rancid on the shelf before you even consume it. 
There was also an experiment done. This study was called the Iowa Screening Experiment. This study showed it took 18 weeks to reverse the negative effect of the incorporation of EPA and DHA from fish oil into the cell membrane. Another study found that fish oil increased the risk of colon cancer in mice. Here's the quote. We found that mice developed deadly late-stage colon cancer when given high doses of fish oil. More importantly, with the increased inflammation, it only took four weeks for the tumors to develop. Simply put, I stopped taking it. I stopped recommending it. I use a plant-based Omega from Pureform. This supplement is nitrogen-infused, which preserves and protects it. It has the proper balance of omega-6 to omega-3, and most importantly, it gives you the derivatives, the building blocks, they're called parent essential oils, for you to produce your own EPA and DHA. If you wanna learn more about Pureform, head over to purelifescience.com. Use the coupon code BEN4, that is B-E-N, the number four, at checkout, and you'll get $4 off your capsules of Pureform. We will also drop a link for you down below in the podcast notes. All right, let's go back to this episode. Third tip is always do something, kind of in line with what you shared already. So elaborate a little bit more on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, I think people feel overwhelmed with having to do it all. You know, we think that living a healthy lifestyle is, you know, drinking your water, taking your steps, getting a workout and meal prepping, cooking. It's just like all these things. And, you know, we live in a world right now where we're overwhelmed and we're stressed. And I see so much people starting and stopping. Um, And the reason why I see them starting and stopping so much is because they want to do it all. And when they can't do it all, they just choose to do nothing. And so, you know, the last thing that I always tell people is that when you're feeling overwhelmed and off track, Instead of trying to do it all, pick one thing to focus on for the week to come. Make that consistent. Make that routine. As that feels like something that you can continue to do over and over, you add something else. We call this habit stacking. You know, long-term health and wellness, it's not about a special diet. It's not about, you know, a special workout routine. It's really about the small, healthy things you do every single day. So if you can focus on those small changes and be consistent with them over time, you're going to see great progress. So always do something. Great tip. It reminds me of that book. I don't know if you read it by BJ Fogg called Tiny Habits. And he talks all about that. You master one tiny habit, you build from there always do something. It's like you could have written that book. I love it. It's amazing. Great. So I know that you're a big fan of um, intermittent fasting. I am. I am as well. Yeah. Um, why do you love it? When did, when did you get into it? How did you get into it? And why do you love it so much? Well, I always say as a registered dietitian, in order to get your diploma, you have to put your hand on it and say breakfast is the most important meal of the day. So for me to come to the conclusion that breakfast may not actually be the most important meal of the day, it took a long time. I mean, it took about 10 years of, you know, seeing the research, reading the books, kind of exploring what the benefits of this, you know, thing could be and also breaking that whole notion of, oh, you've got to fuel your metabolism with six small meals a day, you know, stoke the fire. And, you know, basically about five years ago, I decided, I was like, listen, I'm reading all about this. I'm just going to try it myself and um, kind of jumped in with a kind of 16-8 protocol and have never looked back, never felt better. And it was interesting as I was implementing intermittent fasting, again, my, my clients in the hospital setting would often come to me and say, Amanda, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I'm not hungry. 
You know, I can go until 12 or one without eating. But if I eat, if you, if I do what you tell me to do, eat first thing in the morning, I'm starving all day long. And I would always, you know, kind of scold them. Well, you're ruining your metabolism. And, you know, that's your fire getting stoked and everything. And then, you know, once I started learning about intermittent fasting, I was like, well, no wonder you're not hungry. You know, there's actual physiological processes in the body that help us, you know, thrive in a fasted state, you know, the elevation of growth hormone and the reduction of leptin and things like that, that make it a lot more effortless to be more of an intuitive eater. And that's what I think that um, intermittent fasting can really empower you to, to do is to really kind of tap into when you're hungry and when you're not. The other thing I love about time-restricted eating is that it's it's not a diet. It's not necessarily about what you eat. It's more about when you eat. So it makes it very flexible. Anybody can implement you know, intermittent fasting with whatever type of dietary approach that they want to use. I also love intermittent fasting because it's flexible in the fact that you don't necessarily have to fast every single day. Now, I believe that every person on the planet should be fasting for at least 12 hours. Um, I think that that's just a nice minimum that everyone should be doing. We know that our eating patterns back in the 70s, prior to this whole six small meals a day, were breakfast at eight, lunch at noon, dinner at 5.30. So for the longest time, we have been fasting for at least 12 to 14 hours. But increasing that, that fasting window, as you know, has tons of health benefits, including autophagy, weight loss, insulin you know, sensitivity, things like that. So it can be really powerful um, to implement in an effortless and free. I love free. It's free. you know. <laughs> it doesn't cost you any money. Um, the last thing I love about intermittent fasting is that for me, most of my clients struggle with late night eating. And late night eating is, is usually a lot about stress, boredom, sleep, maybe a little routine. And having that kind of cutoff window for so many clients can be really powerful with regards to, you know what, the kitchen closes at eight, it closes at nine um, in order to get the benefits of my fast in. And I think it helps really manage um, some of those uh, discretionary late night choices we make. If somebody struggles to um, fast before bed, let's say they have that habit because it's so routine, what are some tips you could recommend for them to start getting into that habit of fasting maybe at least three hours before bed? What, what can they start doing? I like to use things like um, tea um, in the evening. You know, some herbal tea uh, is nice to drink kind of after dinner. Even some non-caloric beverages or something, you know, obviously there are different fields of fasting, whether you're a clean faster or a dirty faster, you know, things like that. But you can also adjust your eating window. You know, if you prefer to eat more in the evening, then you can eat less in the morning. So it's really flexible with regards to how you want to implement that. I always say start with a 12-hour fast. And then ease your way into, you know, the protocol that I use the most with my clients is a 16-8. I don't know. What's your favorite protocol? I, I love a 16-8. Uh, I, I do more of an 18-6 with most of my clients, but it's like right close to that. The only reason I do 18-6 just to get a little bit more autophagy, a little bit more of the benefits. But 16-8 is rock solid. I love that too. Yeah. Yeah. I love that one. So I love fasting too. Like you said, it, you could plug and play into any dietary philosophy that you follow. But especially if you're doing keto, like my audience, it 
goes hand in hand with ketosis because they both do a really good job at keeping glucose and insulin low. And you could really accelerate your, your results with fasting if you pair it with keto or even vice versa. The way that I teach it is to become fat adapted and then we start doing uh, intermittent fasting. And, and you're right, Amanda, 12 hours is fairly easy to do. You're done eating at 7 p.m., you don't eat until 7 a.m., and then you build that fasting muscle from there. We have been so conditioned to wake up and shove food in our mouth and then have a snack and then have another snack and then have lunch and et cetera. I think it's worse than six meals a day. I think most people are eating uh, in the teens. Uh, one of my colleagues, Dr. Don Klum, did a patient population survey, and on average, the average American in his population was eating 17 to 23 times per day. They were having the kombucha, the yogurt. Every time they were raising glucose and insulin, like that's a meal to the body. It doesn't matter if it's healthy. Have you seen that as well when you start working with, with patients and start getting an idea of how often they're eating that it's actually more than six times a day? Absolutely. For some reason, we want to graze all day long. You know, and again, I think people don't realize the reason why you're eating all day long is because you're not eating till to fullness and satisfaction. You know, when you sit down and eat 200 calories, you're going to be hungry in an hour. We've definitely gotten away from meal times, and we've definitely gotten away from you know sitting down and eating a meal. I was um, on social media a couple of weeks ago, and I was showing everyone my salad that had 700 calories in it, and so many people are like, "Oh my gosh, how do you eat?" a 700 calorie salad and, and stay healthy and, and lose weight. And I'm like, hello, this is how, because I eat a 700 calorie salad and then I don't eat again until my 700 calorie or 800 calorie or 900 calorie dinner. And, you know, that's still only, you know, 17, 1800 calories a day, which is very conservative, but people are so caloric phobic. They're so carb phobic. They're so fat phobic that I feel like at mealtimes we're significantly under eating, which leads to more snacking throughout the day. It's also this whole, you know, we're still in that, you know, six small meals a day. But like you said, you know, people are eating, you know, every hour and a half, they're eating way more than that. I was astonished. I mean, my son is 15 now. So um, this was about 10 years ago. But I was shocked that when I sent him to kindergarten, that they had two snack periods on top of one lunch period. And I'm like, when are we, when are we learning? All we're doing is eating all day. And I always say to find six healthy things to eat throughout the day is impossible. You know, usually maybe the first three or four are pretty healthy. And then the last two is, you know, ice cream and donuts because you've just given up. So I definitely of the same mindset that, you know, we need to be sitting down to two, you know, maybe one snack, three solid meals a day, and especially to, you know, keep that insulin response appropriate instead of up all day long it has time to recover yeah well said i love that because when we think about insulin resistance it takes years 10 15 years to be diagnosed with it but you could be developing it by doing exactly what amanda said even if it's healthy snacks if you keep bumping up that bully of the block insulin it's going to lead to insulin resistance it's going to lead to type 2 diabetes it's going to lead to a whole host of other problems because let's face it if you get diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and you don't take care of it, that'll lead to other diseases. It's, it's actually rare. Yeah, it's rare that somebody dies from type 2 diabetes. Oh, yeah. They actually die from the degeneration of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, renal disease, heart disease, strokes, et cetera. And here's the thing. I mean, just kind of, you know, piggybacking on that, 
insulin sensitivity, insulin resistance is it's huge right now. Um, it is what is crippling, you know, most people and they don't even realize it. So, and like you said, I mean, it, it does take years to um, create that and it takes just as long to, you know, get that sensitivity back. It does. And if you think about what's happening in the last 18, 20 months with the COVID, et cetera, the conversation should really be focused on metabolic health. If we had true metabolic health, it wouldn't be such a big issue. We wouldn't have a, a pandemic. Honestly, we would just deal with it. The body would handle it. It's the fact that 88% of Americans are metabolically inflexible and unhealthy that we're seeing the depths, we're seeing the symptoms, et cetera. So I don't know what your thoughts are on, on that. I imagine they align with that, but shouldn't we be focusing on metabolic health, the conversation? Oh, I mean... It's maddening. I think for people in our space, um, we're just like banging our heads up against the wall over the the message that's being put out because it's just completely wrong. Like, here's your free donuts and, you know, here's your free Burger King or whatever, you know, and it just is missing the point. It's, I, I always think I'm like, man, had we had the narrative been significantly different 18 months ago, because clearly we're compliant people, <laughs> you know, we do as we say, or at least most M people Most do. people, yeah. Yeah, most people, exactly. <laughs> um, but what if the message was um, get outside and get some sun exposure, you know, get your yeah. vitamin D. What if it was get grounding, you know, get outside and get your bare feet in the dirt and walking. And what if it was you need to eat more vegetables and, you know, quality protein and healthy fats. I mean, I just think about if that was the message, you know, where could we have been? What if we mandated, you know, farmer's markets and eating at home and cooking? I mean, we'd be in a totally different space. And now, the obesity rates in the last 18 months have skyrocketed. Everyone's health has deteriorated significantly. I mean, we are now way more prone to any type of, you know, disease and virus and everything more so today than we were 18 months ago. It's, it's very sad, very sad. It's very sad. And I mentioned to you before we hit record that you're doing a great job getting the message out there. And you, you were like, yeah, it's a big, you know, it's a big challenge. It's a big job and uh, even more so than ever. So conversations like this, it's so important. Uh, I believe it empowers people. The vitamin D conversation. I mean, that's what the government should be going door to door, honestly, knocking on your door. Let me check your vitamin D. And if you're below 50, uh, here's some vitamin D to take. And here's a prescription for 30 minutes of sun each day. When I interviewed Dr. Anthony Jay on my podcast a few months ago, he's a Mayo Clinic scientist. He said from his research, it's almost impossible, he said, to get a cytokine storm from COVID if your vitamin D is over 50. Like that should be one of the main priorities. Get your vitamin D up over 50. But we also know insulin and vitamin D have kind of this inverted relationship. So you have to also eat healthy, drop the carbs, the processed oils, and then your vitamin D will go up with the sunshine and the supplementation. So I align with that so much. It's like, it's so crucial to get that message out there. I mean, we're not talking about radical things that cost a lot of money, you know? I mean, they're very minute shifts in your, you know, your lifestyle that can make a huge impact in just the way you feel. Agreed. Agreed. So we'll keep shouting out the message and those who want to hear, who are ready to hear it, they will receive it. Those who are not, we'll, we'll welcome you back when you're ready. <laughs> um, right. on your, on your website, you have uh, a great uh, blog. You have a lot of articles on there. I was looking at it, getting ready for the uh, episode here. I saw a great article titled why you're not losing weight from your 
registered dietitian. I'd like to go through each of these uh, five tips here. You've kind of touched on a few already, but number one was being sedentary, right? You're sitting down all day long. So what's the issue with that? What are some practical things we can do to get our steps up? Yeah, I said on social media that sitting is the new smoking and it set off a lot of fire alarms. I imagine it did. (laughs) People did not like to hear that, but it is the honest truth. I mean, we are more sedentary and I think even in the last 18 months than we've ever been before. And, you know, just simple daily activity. It's interesting because I did a CGM challenge with about 50 of my clients and CGM, I'm sure you're, you guys know. But explain it. Yeah, explain it. Yeah. So CGM is a continuous glucose monitor that you wear and it, it shows your blood sugar response. So you have an idea of what foods impact your sugar, your insulin, all of those things. It's very informative. And one of the biggest takeaways we got from wearing a CGM is the power a blood sugar regulation after uh, taking a walk after a meal. It's incredible. I mean, it is literally night and day. So you can eat a meal and you can go sit on the couch and you're going to have a huge blood sugar spike and you know all the things. You can eat the same meal and go take even just a simple 10-minute walk and your blood sugar will be cut in half. So that's the power of activity. You know, when we eat and lay around, you know, um, it's going to be a much greater blood sugar response. When we eat and we're active and we stay active throughout the day, um, our blood sugar is much better managed. Mm, That's uh, amazing data. I I, I didn't, I love hearing that because I've seen the same thing. I I didn't see 50%. I saw maybe 20, 25% when I use the CGM on myself. But you're you're a pretty healthy eater. I'm a pretty healthy eater. Yeah, you're right. right. So you probably have pretty good control. Correct. That is a powerful tip. Look, and that 10-minute walk could be in your apartment. It could be in your house. You just walk back and forth after a big meal. And what's happening, of course, you're- Run the vacuum. Run the vacuum. You know, (laughs) Maybe you're just washing dishes and standing in place. There were so many things you can do. Uh, and the mechanism there is you're, you're activating the, the GLUT4 transporters, and now you're taking some of that glu- excess glucose and refilling your glycogen stores, using it for energy. If you're a diabetic listening right now, or if you're overweight, you have insulin resistance, that tip right there, 10 to 15 minute walk after big meals can make all the difference for you. And I also want to hear from you, Amanda, how long did you wear the CGM for? Do you recommend it for most people? Uh, what are your thoughts on somebody using this? Ama- I think it's an amazing tool, the CGM. I agree. I think if every American could wear a CGM for four weeks, it would significantly change their eating patterns. I mean, and it's powerful and it's sad because it's a very simple device, um, but it's not readily available to even diabetics, which is very disheartening. But hopefully that's going to change in the future. I personally um, wear it at four weeks at a time. I've done three different sessions. I would recommend wearing it for four weeks because I think two weeks you get basically like all your data. You learn what the data is, the baseline. And then the next two weeks, you can actually do some experimenting and kind of play with what you're eating when you're eating all of that. But it was super powerful. You know, I now have a, and so do my clients have a a much better understanding of uh, meal combining, you know, proteins, carbs, and fats, exercise after a meal, before a meal, you know, things that impact their sleep. Like you mentioned, not eating three hours before you sleep. I mean, you can see a huge difference in your blood sugar regulation eating right before you go to bed versus, you know, eating that two to three hours before. So yeah, it's awesome. I'm hoping to do another one in October. 
Oh, very cool. I love it. I think it's one of the best tools that we have available to us. And like you said, it's, it is becoming more readily available. Companies like Nutrisense and Levels, you could get it through them. Uh, typically, you have to pay out of pocket if your insurance doesn't cover it, but you don't need it for months or even years. You just need it for a good 30 days, right? 28 days. So two 14-day cycles or a 14-day cycle times two is all you need. And it gives you some great data. Also, what stress does to you? If work is stressing you out. Look at your CGM. Oh my gosh. You see it spike up 20, 30 points without even eating. You got to master that stress. It's, it's causing an issue for you. So awesome. Awesome share. Can't wait to hear about the next uh, project you do about it. I like this one. You're focusing on calories instead of macros. Scream it from the raptors. Why is that important, Amanda? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say calories don't matter, but the makeup your of your calories matter more. And, you know, that's, we've all just been taught to focus on calories. When you go through the drive-thru and you look at that sweet tea, it's only 150 calories. So it doesn't feel that bad. But when you look at how much carbs and sugars it has, now it's got 75 grams of carbs, 75 grams of sugar. So macro management is really important to me. I think that there's, a, you know, and again, it's all about blood sugar regulation, you know, meal, having a meal, balanced meal with carbohydrates, proteins, fats, so that you don't have these huge blood sugar spikes. Also recognizing that uh, proteins and fats fill you up. They keep you full. They take much longer to digest. I always say when you get up in the morning, you eat eggs and bacon and maybe even you know a couple pieces of toast, you're full for like the next four or five hours. But when you get up in the morning, you eat a bowl of oatmeal or a bagel, you're starving in, in an hour. And that's just, just because carbohydrates digest so rapidly. So they leave you wanting more. So definitely uh, making sure that you're getting adequate protein, healthy fats, and the right amount of carbohydrates. Well said. Is there a, a specific number of, of, of how much protein you recommend to your, your, I know it's different for every person, but in general, how much protein do you recommend we get on a daily basis? I usually recommend about 20 to 30% of caloric needs. So it'll vary depending on how many calories you're needing. I, I definitely think that everybody needs at least half their body weight in protein. I would never recommend a gram of protein per body weight because I think most people are overweight. Um, so I think that's a little excessive. I mean, in the keto world, we know that excess protein is converted to sugar. So um, there is such a, a thing as um, too much protein. So it's a, a little balance, but I will say most Americans are not eating enough protein. Correct. Yeah, I agree. And you know what I've noticed, Amanda, in the keto space over the years is that it's almost impossible to eat too much protein on keto to the point where it'll knock you out of ketosis because like you said, it's so satiating. And yeah, it'll create gluconeogenesis. It's estimated, at least according to Dr. Gabrielle Lyons' research, that for every 100 grams of protein you eat, about 60 grams will be converted to glucose. But let's say you had 100 grams in a meal, which is really hard to do. Yeah, or in, really hard. <laughs> yeah, or in two meals. The, the 60 grams of glucose that's, that's created, that'll just be used to kind of refill, replenish your glycogen stores and not necessarily kick you out of ketosis. So I've personally seen, looking at a lot of people doing their keto mojo in testing their protein, yeah. that it's very difficult actually for really? protein to knock them out. Yeah, because they don't overeat with it. It's just so filling. To your point. I mean, that's, you know, the biggest thing that I focus on in my program is protein optimization, because I find that when people, you know, focus simply on consuming enough protein, it's like what you said, they're full and satisfied, you know? So everything else kind of falls into place because they don't need as much of the other stuff. 
And a lot of times my message gets skewed as I promote high protein, you know, so I have to often tell people that, you know, I don't promote a high protein diet. I promote a protein adequate diet. It's just the problem is most people are not eating enough protein. Oh, yeah, well said. Don't be afraid of protein. I prioritize it with keto. I recommend it. Um, especially after you're already in ketosis, you could actually scale down the fat and focus on the protein. You'll get more results that way. And the fact that you're adding fasting with the protein, that right there is a perfect balance because of course, too much protein and eating it throughout the day, too much mTOR, not good. But if you balance it out with autophagy, that is synergistic. It's the balance between autophagy, which is more catabolic, mTOR, uh, which is more uh, anabolic. So I, that's, I love the message that you preach. We're very aligned there, which is the third tip. Your protein is too low. We kind of covered that, but somebody who's under the age of 18 years old, over the age of 65, they really need to increase their protein, right? Oh yeah. I mean, definitely. Our protein needs increase as we age. You know, most women, think that their meta you know it's like oh my metabolism it, you know reduces as i get older and it's it's not really i mean yes your metabolism is slowing down but the reason why your metabolism is slowing down is due to muscle loss sarcopenia and the reason why you have muscle loss is because you're not eating enough protein you know the body doesn't utilize protein as efficiently as we age so we end up needing more in order to sustain our muscle mass and sustain our metabolism. So definitely, you know, that number increases as your age increases for sure. And and we're talking about animal-based protein versus plant-based, right? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And that's what makes protein such a polarizing topic is that, you know, again, it's like what I talk about in my TED Talk. We basically have created nutritional guidelines based on fear. The fear of fat, the fear of carbs, the fear of animal protein, the fear of this. Um, so people are just paralyzed. They don't know what to do. But we as humans need quality animal protein. Yes. Mm. Amen to that. I agree. I mean, the, the vegan agenda is stronger than ever before. Uh, it, the plant-based movement is stronger than ever before. You have the, the Beyond Burgers. They're making it very difficult for farmers to actually get their meat out there. Uh, and I always say human beings are the only species smart enough to actually create their own food, but dumb enough to <laughs> dumb, eat it. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. <laughs> and if you, if you have, I mean, I just am like, I look at these ingredients of these, you know, fake foods and I'm like, if this is going to make you your you healthier, you know nothing. <laughs> you definitely don't know anything about you know uh, rancid seed oils. That's for sure. Correct. They get a they get an A plus in marketing, but an F minus in actual nutrition. If you just look at the ingredients, I mean, soybean oil, canola oil, soy. It's just toxic Franken foods. We're not designed to eat that, but their marketing is great. <laughs> right. And and again, it's just, it's hard because the message is out there, you know, a powerful documentary comes out to, to, that really kind of just makes you think, it, I mean, it's so biased and one-sided and, you know, you'll have the same thing come out, you know, um, for the animal and, and stuff like that. So my whole philosophy is just kind of, we got to be down in the middle, you know? Um, eat like your great-grandmother used to eat. <laughs> Correct. I love that philosophy. Uh, the fourth tip. So here's where I like to have this conversation. Don't fear carbohydrates. Uh, you fear carbohydrates. So the way that I teach keto is one tool. There's so many tools out there. I think it's a great tool to get your body fat adapted, to reduce inflammation, and then eventually get keto adapted. After that point, 
I think it's important to actually flex out, which I call keto flexing and get out of ketosis, get those hormonal conversions and don't fear carbohydrates. I mean, have healthy carbs, have them strategically. So I know you align with that. So share a little bit more about the fear behind carbohydrates and even the dogmatic approach in the keto space with a lot of people saying avoid carbohydrates for the rest of your life. Yeah, I mean, I think you term it in a different way, but the only right way to keto is to cycle, you know? Um, you cannot be in, or I don't think that it's healthy for you to be in ketosis forever. It's important to cycle back those carbs and, and cycle back and forth into to ketosis. But, you know, I mean, again, my thing is, is that it's all about this kind of fear that we've created. You know, it began with the fear of fat. So we ate no fat, we ate all the carbs. And, and now it is the fear of carbohydrates. You know, people think that in order to be successful with weight loss and, and health and wellness, that they can only eat 20 carbs a day for the rest of their life. And I just think that you know, that creates that kind of all or nothing mindset. So I absolutely, you know, agree to your approach in terms of getting yourself more fat adapted, which is going to make you feel better. Your cravings are not through the roof. You're not hangry. You're not miserable, you know, so you're able to manage your food choices, but then recognizing that, you know, what's an appropriate amount of carbohydrates for me and my teachings, you know, I'll tell people, you can have 150 carbs and be fine. You know, you can have 200 carbs. Like that's not too much. And for a lot of people, they're like, what? That, that sounds like so much. When in reality, the average American is eating 400 to 500 carbs a day. That's problematic. Okay. So my whole principle of like not fearing carbs is just to have a really good understanding of what an appropriate carb level is for you, which is probably a lot more than what you think it would be. Well said. You know, I haven't been invited to a specific low carb keto conference that I spoke at because of my message that went against their their message of keto all the time. I'm like, no, not all the time. It's great, but we flex in and out, especially for women. I mean, what about women? They should do it differently too. So, um, you know, it's not the message they wanted to hear. So I haven't been invited and I think back. That, and I also, I mean, I think that that approach, again, really helps people be successful. You know, I mean, I, I would imagine, I, I can't remember the gentleman that I was reading about, but he talks about you know, taking a break in his keto cycle over the holidays. And it allows him to, you know, holiday and enjoy family meals and, and, you know, and it's the perfect cycle for him. You know, he cycles out of it for the holidays and then ramps it back up for the new year. And I think when you teach those types of approaches, it's more sustainable. It breaks the all or nothing mindset. Exactly. Right to, back to that beginning conversation we had. And I, I, I share that as well. I'm like, look, save your flex days. I, I call them flex days, which are cycle days, whatever you, you, terminology you want to use for the holidays. You know, you enjoy yourself. If you've done the work, congratulations, you're metabolically flexible. And that is the goal. Then you introduce those carbs, have a good time. And if you've done this the right way, you're metabolically flexible to go right back into ketosis. So that, that's the, the overall goal. I call them flex days too, because I hate to call them cheat days. Because yes, it's not, you're not cheating. Again, it's like you, we've got to take all the negative, you know, feel out of food. There's not good foods and bad foods. You know, there are foods that make you feel your best. And then there are foods that, you know, 
you enjoy your best. I mean, um, so, you know, I, I love that you call them flex. I call them flex meals too. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, I love that. My, my book, it, it talks all about that. Yeah, that's so great. They're feast days. They're feast, not cheat. Right. So, and we're designed to go through periods of feasting, periods of fasting, the feast famine cycles that our cells are designed to, to go through. Uh, final tip here is about water. So what are your thoughts on water? And I'm, I'm imagining there's some electrolyte component here. A lot of people are kind of electrolyte depleted. So water was the last tip. Electrolytes are your missing link. I mean, I just, you know, if you're drinking plain water all day long, you probably feel like is all I got to say. And I actually learned about electrolytes when I learned about intermittent fasting. I really didn't understand the power of sodium, potassium, and magnesium, you know, within our body until... Um, I was learning more about uh, fasting and how to support a fast. So, you know, water hydration is super important. You know, without adequate hydration, you can't metabolize fat. You know, thirst and hunger are kind of the same signals. So you may be walking around thirsty all day and you're actually eating. You know, um, electrolytes, if you don't have enough sodium, potassium, magnesium, that's when you feel weak hangry, you know, when you feel like you need to eat, like your blood sugar's dropping, it's not your blood sugar, it's that electrolyte imbalance. So I find that when clients are well hydrated, um, especially with electrolytes, they just feel better. They sleep better, they function better, they poop better, all the things. Uh, I love that. And if you have healthy kidneys, it's almost impossible to take in too much electrolytes. You might just get diarrhea or your body's just going to excrete it out. So it's, yeah. it's not the bad guy. So awesome. I love that. What are your thoughts on, on cow dairy in, in general? And do you have any like um, favorite dairy alternatives? So, you know, I try to teach a low inflammatory dietary approach. Um, I always take the 80-20 approach, you know. So um, cow's dairy has been shown to be quite inflammatory for most people. It comes down to that protein molecule, that A1 protein molecule, that really big, hard to digest protein molecule also lactose, you know, um, most people stop producing lactase after the age of two. So those are things that can, you know, just make you feel really bloated, give you skin breakouts, just have that kind of overall inflammatory response. So I uh, encourage my clients to use um, more smaller animals like sheep and goat. So sheep cheese, goat cheese, you know, um, those types of things. I'll use coconut milk in replace of like cream. I still use a lot of butter, like grass-fed butter. I, um, I'm not, I, I will also use some cream because 99% of the inflammatory properties are removed um, in making cream and butter. Butter is actually like a superfood, okay? Eat the heck out of, out of quality, you know, butter. It's loaded with CLA. It's been shown to reduce diabetes, reduce heart disease, you know, we can show the correlation of the reduction in the consumption of butter and the, the increase in the, the consumption of margarine with just how crappy our health is. So, But overall, yeah, I try to stay away from cow products just as much as possible. Great tip. I'm aligned with that. I would say just have sheep and goat. Those are much safer. And uh, butter is great. Ghee is also great. It removes the lactose completely. Yeah. Um, butter is a superfood and it tastes delicious. Put it on your coffee, put it on your steak. Use it. It's a saturated fat that your cells love. So that, that is terrific. Yeah, I always say, you know, I work with so many picky eaters. And my um, theory is the reason why so many, especially people my age, I'm 45, why we're picky is because we grew up in the fat-free generation. You know, we were told steam our broccoli, but heaven forbid, don't add salt and don't add butter. And let me tell you, broccoli with salt and butter tastes a heck of a lot better. 
you know? So when we add flavor back to our food in the form of, you know, salt and butter, our food tastes so much better. So uh, again, cook like your great grandmother did. Yeah. Great principle right there. What, uh, what's the final message you want to leave for, for my audience, the keto campers here? You know, again, just kind of circling back to my TED talk and and recognizing that, you know, your health and wellness, it's a journey. It's not a destination. It's not a perfect path. You have to work at it every single day and learning to stop being on and off um, and focusing on consistency is really what's going to make the big change in the long run. Ah, powerful message. Where Where is the best place to go check you out? You got an amazing Instagram, awesome website. So share all those resources. Yeah, I'm super active on Instagram. Check me out at Amanda Nybert RD. You know, my website, I'm everywhere. TikTok, YouTube, anywhere you can, <laughs> I'll be there. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize you're on TikTok. I'm going to follow you on there. I'm on there too. What's your TikTok? Same, same channel? Um, my TikTok is, uh, I think it's Amanda Nybert RD. Awesome. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check you out on there. We're going to put all of your information in the podcast notes. So Keto Campers, go check her out. Uh, follow her. Maybe take a screenshot of this episode on your phone and tag us both on Instagram. Amanda, you were so much fun. I'm, I'm so grateful for the conversation. There's a lot of alignment with what we teach. And like we said in the beginning, our mission is more important than ever. Let's keep getting the message out there. And uh, I want to thank you for coming on to my podcast and ed- educating my audience. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Amanda. Go show her some love. Go check out her website, amandanybert.com. Follow her on her Instagram. Subscribe to her YouTube channel. We're going to put links and resources for all of her social media down below. And hey, take a screenshot of this episode and post it on Instagram and tag us both. We would love to hear from you. My Instagram handle is at thebenazadi. And Amanda's Instagram handle is Amanda Nybert RD. If this episode was valuable to you, please share it with a friend, text it to somebody, post it on your social media. And if you haven't left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating or a review yet on Apple Podcasts, please do so today as it makes a big difference for the show to reach more lives. I'm grateful you listened to the entire episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. I'll see you on the next one. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.